Welcome to the Life Science and Marketing Podcast, where we discuss marketing and career insights and tips with leading experts from across the globe. Let's join our host, Paul Avery, CEO of Biostrata, as he chats with our next Life Science Marketing guest. Today, we welcome Natasha Zarek to the podcast. Natasha is currently International Head of Marketing at Bayer, where she's worked for over a decade holding a number of positions, which includes Head of Digital Marketing and Communications within the company's Elga team, which delivers water purification systems for laboratories. And that's how Natasha and I met back in the day. She is also a qualified yoga instructor. (laughs) Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been good. Oh, it's great to have you here. Obviously, I've given the the listeners a little flavour for who you are, but I could never do your story justice. Why don't you give us some insights into your story to get us going? Oh, gosh, my story. Um, I'd love to say I knew exactly what I wanted to do from an early age, um, but I didn't. Um, Totally sure I still do. Kind of fell into the technology industry by accident, and I did uh, a number of roles across product management, sales, and marketing, uh, both in the UK and and overseas, which was good fun. Um, I kind of reached a stage where I was I was done with binary. You know, I wanted something more human than than ones and zeros. So I moved to to Veolia, where I've been, as you say, for over a decade. Wow, that makes me feel old. Um, you know, Veolia is one of the most interagent environment, environmental groups uh, worldwide, and that's, that's, that really appealed to me. Um, but I worked for a really tiny business unit within the group, focusing, as you say, on, on science and healthcare markets. Um, that's kind of where I ended up. I, I'd love to say, as I said, I had a, a vision and a, and a path, but I didn't. It's, it's definitely one that's more slowy, shouldn't say, like water. <laughs> How apt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> pure, highly pure water, I would imagine, as well. Of course, of course. <laughs> Unlike your squash that you got. Oh, no. I was going to hide the squash, and now no. you brought it up. I'm going to have to put it in camera <laughs> yeah. so for the video viewers. Tell us about your current role, then, because um, you're international head of marketing at Veolia now. Are you still focusing mostly on the on the science side, or is it more broad? Uh, well, uh, yes, it is mainly on the, the science and healthcare markets, um, but we are... I guess, getting more segmented uh, within those markets. So uh, we're developing, obviously, the, the pharma verticals, um, food and beverage. So it's, it's expanding still within um, healthcare and, and science, but becoming more uh, segmented. But that's probably driven as much by our organizational structure as, as trying to connect with the right people right. Uh, from a customer point of view. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, what about outside of work? What are you passionate about outside of work? <laughs> Yoga, for one. Uh, <laughs> ironic, I have a friend who often yells at me, we just sit still for a minute. And I think that's probably why uh, Yoga is good for me. And I probably struggle to sit still. I'm always doing something, always learning. I think at the moment, my current new thing is pottery. So I'm, I, but for me, it's kind of turned into a bit of a metaphor uh, for me. You know, everything's a bit wonky, but mostly functional. <laughs> <laughs> That's a life aspiration. <laughs> I've achieved it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So it's often, yeah, exploring something new, learning something new, uh, which I guess again suits 
suits marketing really because it's forever changing. Absolutely. Um, what about a story about you that not many people might know? I'd love, I'd be interested to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, that's still censored. <laughs> that's the sort of question that you ask and your mind goes completely blank. Thank you, Paul. Uh, not many people know. So the icebreaker question, how I'd answer that would be, uh, I was once invited on stage uh, in Vegas by David Copperfield and he, I was part of the show and he made me disappear on stage. Wow. Yeah. Well, obviously I'm not allowed to tell you how it worked because what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> Especially in the magic circle, which you are now yeah. very clearly a part of. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was quite cool. But a little bit weird. Yeah, I can quite imagine. Yeah. Well, whenever I ask that question, you never quite know what you're going to get. And I would not have guessed that one. So I appreciate you sharing that with us, Natasha. That's brilliant. Um, what about, let's sort of, let maybe we talk science for a bit, because I think certainly when I think back to some of the projects we've worked on over the years, pure water is one of those things that it's like a, a tried and tested, you know, essential ingredient of most yeah. experiments. But once you actually peel the surface back, you can see some really cool stuff that we wouldn't be able to do if we didn't have access to, you know, really ultra pure water. So what are some of the sort of science stories or areas that have most interested you over the years in the projects you've worked on? Um, I guess the one that stands out for me is I was lucky enough to work on a, on a case study with um, some great people at the, I think it's the Italian National, got to get this right, the Italian National Antarctic Research Program um, at the University of Venice. And because I spent quite a bit of time with them, um, I just kind of really got into what they were doing. So they used um, our equipment, they used pure water within their labs on research, okay, so again, research ships um, in Antarctica as well as uh, in their labs in Venice. So they were taking ice core samples, still back to water, um, and analysing those as well as sort of marine, snow and, and aerosol um, samples down to ultra trace levels of substances. And so they were looking really at our impacts latterly um, on the sort of pristine environment within the um, Antarctic um, environment but also the, the biomass burning events from thousands of years ago. So just absolutely fascinating work and great spending some time in, in their labs. And so, you know, our equipment there really is super vital because they're analysing water effectively, or at least the ice core samples. Yeah, they can't afford to detect something that's in their reagents that they're using by accident yeah. and then and yeah. then ascribe it to the to the sample that would be disastrous interesting i can't believe do you know what i love about that as well a laboratory on a boat on a sailing vessel like that's pretty cool yeah it is yeah unfortunately i didn't get to go on the vessel i'd love to i mean it's definitely somewhere i'd like to visit but um the visiting their uh labs was absolutely fascinating because obviously everything's really low temperature so i had to i had to basically get up dressed in a moon suit uh, complete with moon boots to actually go into into the lab and and see all the core samples and how they were using um, the equipment. So yeah, it was fascinating. Oh, that sounds so cool! Yeah. I would love to see a picture of that. Everyone in their moon suits. Yeah, uh, I look like a Loompa Loompa, I think. 
That's awesome. Um, on the science front, is there any area of science at the moment, maybe you're working in it, maybe not, that just particularly excites you and you're kind of keen to see how things are going to play out? Uh, I guess, and it's probably linking a, a couple of things here. I'm really interested, doing quite a lot around pharma, drug discovery, um, AI and drug discovery, huge things. Um, you know, just how is that going to play out for what is typically, you know, a 10 to 15 year process um, and the costs are astronomical. So you're obviously much more of an expert on, on AI than I am. And, you know, simultaneously, it absolutely petrifies me and excites me. Um, so I don't really know where that's going from a personal perspective or really, I guess, a, a wider um, aspect of the marketing. But the possibility of AI being able to, um, you know, reduce the, the, the cost of bringing a drug to market anyway, but, but, but actually to find cures for or rare medical conditions because now it makes them viable to, to do that. So from that mm-hmm. perspective, reading um, quite fascinating to watch how that's going to pan out. I agree. I, I, that's such a cool area. And it's, I think it will also impact in unexpected ways. Yeah. Such as thinking of connections between biological factors or even like apparently unrelated diseases and just looking at things in a way a human wouldn't. Yeah. To be able to surface new insights and new drug targets and things that maybe we wouldn't have ex- sort of thought to go after. I think that's going to be cool because, as you, I think, very rightly said, we're still waiting for that drug discovery paradigm shift, aren't we? It's still costs a load, takes forever. Most programs fail. They still fail too late when loads of time and money's been spent on them. And yeah. AI can give us a, a leg up and help us get over some of those challenges. I think we're all, the world's going to be a happier place. It is. And, and that's the, the, as I say, you know, I'm, I'm excitedly curious and petrified of AI because there's, there are areas of our lives that it's going to impact positively. What happens on the negative side, I, I, uh, I don't think about. I can see my no. head on that one. It's kind of a bit PBD at the moment, that one, isn't it? And yeah. uh, I'm not sure. I, there's lots of debate, but I'm not sure anyone really knows. No. If I'm honest. Um, all right, let's talk. We've talked a bit of life. We've talked a bit of science. Let's talk a bit, a bit about marketing. Okay. But I think before we get into that, I'd, just, I'd love to get your take on any advice that you'd give to someone just starting out in life science marketing? Gosh, I guess be curious. For me, it's the one, it's the one aspect I always look for um, if, I'm, if I'm interviewing somebody for, for a role or something is do they have curiosity? And, and don't be just curious about, you know, the, the marketing as a, a business function. Be curious about your entire organisation. Take the opportunity to go and work in other departments, even if it's got nothing to do with, with, with marketing, go, you know, build products. If they're here, go build a product, go work in tech support, go and go out on the road with sales, because ultimately as a marketeer, you're selling, you're promoting, and you are everything in that organization. And so for me, it's always important to understand the bigger picture and, and apply that to customers as well. You know, mm. don't just look at the labs, look at everything else they're trying to do um, because it's it's important to make those connections. Oh, that's really sage advice. Thank you for sharing that. Sage. <laughs> sage, yeah. Sage and onion advice, that one. Um, 
but you're clearly very passionate about what you do. So I wonder what's the bit that you love the most about what you do? Um, what gets me out of bed is connecting people. Um, it's probably one of the things I did think about uh, in, in a sort of a career progression was I've always enjoyed working in international roles. Um, I like the fact that, you know, one day I'm trying to figure out how to connect with, you know, a lab manager in, in China, the next day in Germany. And um, so the variety of that as a challenge is fascinating just from a marketing tactical point of view, but also culturally um, understanding the differences there. So for me, that's the thing that's always really interesting. Plus the fact I'm doing it in an environment, in a, um, an environment that's really fascinating from a science point of view and the advancement in science, sciences keeps it fresh as well as the fact that, you know, marketing changes every two minutes or so it feels. Yeah, especially at the moment. Um, what do you, that's really interesting. And I do think people do different things in different countries and you've got those cultural aspects. So what do you think are the biggest challenges about that? That well, the biggest challenges of the differences. Yeah, and trying to communicate to people in different countries, understand the culture, how they apply your technologies in different scientific environments. Um, I think the biggest challenge there is don't localize, culturalize. Um, it's really easy to take what we've done here and translate it, push it out and say, off you go. We've given you some fantastic content. Go and make a, a campaign um, in your local market. It just, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, you, you must really culturalize what you're, you're trying to do rather than just straightforward translate it, if that makes any sense. Oh, it really does. I've never heard it put like that before, but now that you've said it, intuitively yeah. it makes sense. Can you maybe give an example or elaborate a bit to try and help the listeners understand where the key differences lie? Uh, right. So uh, I... I'm just back from China. Um, I went to go and spend some time with my colleagues out there who fantastic. Haven't seen them for a good number of years for obvious reasons. Um, and we're looking at running campaigns in, in their market. And it's probably the best example of culturalization versus localization. Um, obviously the language is very different, but how they use social media is vastly different. And uh, not obviously they, they don't have any of the, uh, you know, the Google, LinkedIn, Twitter platforms that we have here, they have something like WeChat. Um, so WeChat transcends business and uh, personal. So if I've connected with somebody on WeChat in a business environment, I'm just as likely to see exactly what he's doing or she's doing at the weekend. Um, and so those lines are completely blurred. Wow. Uh, so from, from a perspective of trying to get your head around the content you're putting out there, um, it's different. There's, there's no demarcation between business and, um, and private on, on sort of something like a WeChat platform. That is fascinating because we're often having conversations in the more Western markets around LinkedIn is, a, is an obvious go-to as a professional platform. And in essence, we're B2B, although in science especially when targeting your academics i guess it's a bit blurred because it's yeah. more of a vocation for a lot of people but having debates around should we use facebook you know is that the right type yeah. of platform whereas it sounds like when you're using a platform like wechat you can't 
choose like you're you're getting the whole person business and personal and then you have to think about how you're going to apply your messaging and the content you create to that platform yep absolutely right um it's it's a big challenge you know and particularly because the last few i think linkedin's now just about to to exit or has exited from from china so there, there is no um, there's no markers for us as a, for me as a marketer to take anything I've done outside of China into China. Um, so we're, we're starting from scratch. We've got to also look at, you know, interesting things about, I love white space when I'm designing something, um, Chinese, the Japanese, they like to fill everything. So just from a visual point of view, you know, our websites have to look very different. Um, and, and how we drive traffic to it obviously is going to be. Uh, different so yeah good challenge yeah and the design principles i remember um trying to port some japanese sales collateral into english not just the translation of it but lots of colors lots of images lots of everything um like a full page i think to the western design i almost too much information but as you say in japan and china if your brain is used to interpreting information that way, it actually looks wrong to you when it's yeah. not that way. In the same way as it probably would look wrong to a Western eye when they're yeah. in the other way. I know you've done a fair bit of work in this area. What have you learned or what sort of tips could you give around trying to market better in China? Uh. Oh, I don't know. Ask me in a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> um I have to go back to the culturalization versus localization it is absolutely key. That that for me is probably the most vital one. When you're marketing into the science science um, environment, there it is a little bit odd because there's a significant number of if you're in working with international uh, companies based in China, the laboratory managers, the, the PhDs have actually often been educated overseas. So you, you kind of get this weird blend uh, between the two. So again, keep that in mind. And you do sometimes need to do, depending on who you're targeting, um, to make sure you're following up in English as well as uh, in the local Chinese language. So you need need both because they'll they'll check both. Right. Yeah. And as I say, I think just keeping mindful that you have to go back to square one. All the principles and the theory are the same, just the players are very different. Um, right. You know, you have to have a website um, and a server located on the other side of the great firewall of China, as they call it. Um, you can't really do anything from, from this side. So yes. the more networking, the more people you, you have inputting into your your understanding of that landscape, the better. Fascinating stuff. Well, thank you for sharing that, Natasha. If we if we look a bit more broadly, what do you think are the most hard things about life science marketing? What are the biggest challenges we face as life science marketers? Outside of that massive one that you've already posed for us. <laughs> um, I guess authenticity. And I, I say that because, you know, I've worked in a number of different industries outside of the, the science, you know, I don't have a STEM background. Um, so, I, and I've worked outside of, of the life science market. It's fair to say scientists are the toughest people to market to. And rightly so, you know, their, their psyche is to question everything. 
And if you're not another scientist, you know, if you're in sales or in marketing, um, you know, you don't really stand much of a chance. So it's, it's making sure that as marketers, we are genuinely authentic about the content we're putting out there. Is it genuinely going to help that person? You know, it's things that if you start talking about greenwashing, we'll just be uncovered in minutes and you lose that, you know, you lose that reputation. So authenticity, I think, is probably key to making sure that you're connecting the right content. Don't put stuff out there for the same of it. It's mm-hmm. just, you'll, you'll be, yeah, crash and burn. Yeah. They're particularly discerning as an audience and they spot, yeah, rubbish a mile away. And I think as humans, we've got very good at seeing veiled sales pitches wrapped up in content that's actually just a sales pitch. But my goodness, scientists, if they see that, they almost have like an allergic reaction to the yeah. brand, right? So you've got yeah. to you've got to really mark it with that in mind. Um, we've worked on a number of campaigns over the years, some of my favorites. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what's been your favorite marketing campaign or strategy that you've implemented over the years. Um, it's funny you should say that because it was actually, and I, you know, I can't actually remember the details, but um, you know, you and I met when uh, we were a lot younger. Uh, Biostrata had a few people in it. I don't know, it was yourself and Claire and I think a couple other people. Yeah. And, and you know, I was working for a business unit that was effectively a fairly traditional B2B manufacturing business unit. Um, but our challenge was we had to promote the brand globally with, you know, three people from uh, a small office in, in the UK. And so we took the step to move our predominantly offline uh, budget and campaign activity to, to all online, pretty much. I think about 70% of it went online. Um, and, and I can't remember the, the details of it, but I do remember sitting watching, you know, live tracking on landing pages because a campaign was happening as opposed to, you know, an event that takes months. You deliver it and you have no idea really what's coming coming after that. And so for me, it was it was the first online campaigns that, you know, Biostrata and, and my team worked on. Um, I just would love to be able to say, I remember the details of it, but I can't. I love those as well. I remember in a meeting you saying to me, Water's really important, Paul. We've got to make water sexy. That always resonates with me. Yeah. Um, because, it's, because it's true, right? I think the problem when you've got an unsung hero in the laboratory yeah. is it, it becomes something that maybe people don't pay attention to. But when it goes wrong, goodness me, they know about that. It, absolutely. And, and that's always been one of the challenges of, of the promoting the brand. You know, we're a niche brand. We don't... Uh, dilute, sorry, I had to get that in. Uh, <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> we don't dilute into, into, you know, other areas. We are absolutely um, experts on water, but you don't notice it. If it doesn't, if it's not broken, you will not know. It's like walking in and, and turning the light switch on. Um, as soon as it's broken, then, yeah, the lab can stop working. You know, if you look at clinical lab, for example, no water, no tests. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clinical lab puts thousands of, of tests really on a on a regular basis the impact when you look further down the line of not getting results is you know something you don't really want to think of mm. um, so yeah it is the unsung hero uh, we'll keep pushing it uh, we'll still try to find a way to make uh, water sexy or at least just 
raise the awareness within, within the market. I'm not sure we can ever really attain sexy. So I thought, well, I think we got close. If I remember, and I think for the listeners as well, inbound marketing, content marketing, like this is this fairly much, pretty much dominates in the life sciences now. But when we were bringing content-driven approaches, inbound marketing didn't really exist in the life sciences, right? We were kind of forging the way and we got to have a lot of fun with it, thankfully, because I think of the creative dynamism in your team who were well up for it. Plus, we were in a market where if you can say something interesting and valuable and you can say it in an interesting way, you can really stand out. And I always remember some of the infographics and comics that we did that had, in the end, some really massive players copying what we were doing. And I remember that as always being a big marker of, are we on the right track here? Yes, because the big players are noticing it and they're imitating it, which is for me is usually, you know, what is it they say? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So that was fun. (laughs) We'll go with that. Absolutely. Um, What would be your single best marketing tip that you've learned over the years that you pass on to other marketers? (laughs) Prepare for podcasts. (laughs) <laughs> don't wake up on the morning and go i've got a podcast uh, interview today crumbs <laughs> my first podcast i have to say i'm a, a podcast virgin up till now so um yeah interesting interesting process and i guess be willing to change and experiment and um, like we did switching you know offline to our online strategy uh, and stay curious you know sorry that's too not single uh, best marketing tip but yeah, be willing to to, to change and experiment um, and, and stay curious because if you're curious about the people you're trying to connect to, it just makes for for a better campaign or it makes for a you know a, a better approach to to what you're trying to do on a day to day basis. Awesome. One more question: What do you think are the biggest missed opportunities? for life science companies when it comes to marketing? Uh, It's probably not so much about life science, but marketing in general. Um, It's about data and connectivity. Um, One of the things I loved about working with online is that you can measure what we did. And before that, it was a bit of a dark art. Um, But now, unfortunately, we have so much data in our organisations but it's not always connected. So it makes it harder for us to, to build pictures, right pictures of who we're trying to, to target, what we can continue to help and be authentic about and be relevant about with the people that we've connected with. So it's, you know, it's, it's both an art and a science. Um, the art drove it for many years, but the science really came into its, its own when digital marketing came along. Um, so really, it's, it's making sure that you're better at managing and connecting the data and being, you know, kind to our IT departments who I'm always beating up because um, that's one of our problems is making sure that we're connected. I think that's so, I mean, on the one hand, it's super hard because we end up with data in so many disparate systems yeah. and we need to connect them. On the other hand, I think moving data between systems is as easy as it's ever been. And then what we do is we then make it even harder for ourselves by collecting ever more data in different formats, structured in different ways. And so it's yeah. like a bit of a, we're on a bit of a merry-go-round in terms of we get, we've got some of the technologies we need, but now we're collecting even more data and making it even harder for ourselves. So now we need to upgrade our technologies and the never-ending spin. 
Yeah, so I think sometimes less is more. Yeah, pulling out, yeah, seeing the wood for the trees, as they say, right, and trying to really be able to figure out what's the important part. Um, look, I've really appreciated your time, Natasha, today. Thank you so much for joining us. If people are interested to connect with you or speak with you about anything you've mentioned today, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, if you're in China, on WeChat, apparently. Indeed. Uh, I've just set up. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to be prepared to uh, to receive. And LinkedIn's probably the best way. Um, and with a with a name like mine, I'm not that difficult to find. We can drop a link in the show notes just yeah, to make it even easier for people. Other than that, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's been it's been fun. It's nice to take uh, some time out and talk rubbish at you. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no rubbish, but lots of talk, which I appreciate. Thanks, Natasha. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Life Science and Marketing Podcast. For your regular dose of cutting-edge life science marketing insights, don't forget to subscribe. Join us again in two weeks for another engaging expert discussion.